Welcome to the Ridge Community Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button and find us online at theridgecc.com. At our website, you can catch up with everything that's happening at The Ridge, watch previous messages, and learn more about who we are. If you want to watch services live, you can catch them every Sunday via our online community at live.theridgecc.com. We hope this message inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Uh, Well, we're going to start our time off together by doing something that might feel a little uncomfortable at first, and that is uh, a couple days ago, I was on social media on some uh, news pages and uh, some sports pages, and I did what everyone tells you not to do. I went to the comment section and I began to read what uh, some people were saying about other people and I wanted to share some of those statements here. I removed some of the personal details and also removed uh, some of the political implications that they put here, but but just check out what people are saying about other people in real life. And, And here's the first one. He said, I know enough to know your guy created every problem that we face at the moment, every one of them. A lot of power to give one person, you know, right, right there. But here, here's what another person wrote. He said, hey, let's get rid of these anti-American, and then they insert the political party here. We don't need to say which one, you know, it doesn't matter, but, but they're saying that. An- another person wrote this, hey, the fact that you only want a certain political opinion not only means you are a Christian extremist, it makes you racist scum, and then here's the dinger, and you don't have any friends. That was the dagger right there. All right, here's this last one. Hey, people who take their kids to, uh, and they described a certain type of event, ought to have their heads chopped off. Harsh, sobering language. I mean, this is what real people have said about real people as they're describing uh, what, what, what they're seeing going on in, in our culture today. And, and we might see this and read this and, and shake our heads and we're like, this is why you don't go to the comments section. You know, we, we, we don't say this. But, but I just want to ask you to, to think about uh, your, yourself. I mean, have you ever thought something like that? Maybe, maybe not that extreme, but maybe you've thought about a certain group of people or a certain type of political party, and you may have called them, uh, maybe they were good or bad or right or wrong, or you agreed with them or disagreed with them, and because of the differences, you thought, yeah, maybe they deserve something, or maybe they don't deserve something because of how you viewed them. Maybe not even intentionally, but maybe you thought of them as good or bad, and as a result of that, you need to treat them accordingly. And even if you thought, yeah, you know, I I kind of unintentionally came up, you know, and did that, you know, I've thought that about other people, you might have asked yourself, well, where does that come from? Well, it comes from our worldview or the way that we see the world and those in it. And we all have a worldview, and the way that we see the world and the way that we see others, we, we, we go ahead and respond to them based on how we see them. And so if you see other people as good or bad or right or wrong, that's how you're going to treat them. That's how you're going to respond to them. Now, th- the problem is, is if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you view people as right or wrong, it's going to lead to a whole lot of problems because Jesus doesn't see people that way. Jesus actually sees people in two very different categories and responds uh, to them accordingly. And likewise, his followers, he invites his followers to do the same. 
And so that's why today we are continuing a series that we kicked off several weeks ago called The Great Disconnect. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the fact that there is this gap that we are experiencing. And this gap is between this promised benefits of what it means to follow Jesus and what our actual experience of following Jesus has been. And we're wondering, well, where is the source that this gap has been coming from? Because we haven't experienced all the benefits of what it means to follow Jesus. And what we're realizing is that to experience the benefits of following Jesus, we actually accept his invitation to become a follower of him. And, and we got the idea of, of this series, the whole premise of the series, from a statement uh, from a pastor in Atlanta named Andy Stanley. And this is what he said about following Jesus. He said, hey, most of us have been told how to become a follower of Jesus. We just aren't really sure of how to be one. And for many of us, this has been our experience maybe growing up. When I was in high school, I was taught to become a follower of Jesus. Back then, we used the phrase, accept Christ. Hey, Tyler, you just have to accept Christ or just trust Jesus to forgive you of your sins, that he paid for your sin. And if you trust him, here's the great news. He's going to forgive you of your sin, and then you'll be with him in heaven after you die, which, which is true, and that's really, really good. And so the point was, hey, Tyler, go and accept Christ. And I, I literally, I walked down the aisle, you know, to, to accept Christ and to make uh, that decision uh, to do that. But the whole emphasis was, hey, do this so that you go to heaven someday. And, and what that meant for, for us who, who made that decision, what following Jesus was about was making sure that you had the right beliefs and the right behaviors. And that was the focus of, of, of following Jesus. But that's how you become a follower of Jesus, what we're seeing is to actually become a follower of Jesus and to be one is something entirely different. When we look at the very first followers of Jesus, they weren't emphasizing the point of, hey, you just go to heaven after you die, after you trust Jesus. They emphasized something so much bigger and better than that. They emphasized in the teaching that, hey, we are called to bring something here to earth. We're called to bring the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God to us around wherever we go. And so they realized when we follow Jesus, we get to make an impact on this world. We get to bring something so much better around here. And so what we've been doing throughout the series is we've been looking at, well, how do you follow Jesus? How do you actually be one to bring that impact around us and to make a difference in the world so that we can experience the benefits of what Jesus uh, talked about? Now, if you missed any of the previous weeks uh, throughout the series, I can't emphasize enough Go to our YouTube channel. You can catch up on the playlist for this series, or you can listen on podcasts and subscribe, and you can catch up to find out all the different ways of how we can follow Jesus. Now, today, what we're going to do to overcome this disconnect is we're going to see how Jesus sees people. And if you're a connected follower of Jesus, it's going to impact how you see other people. It's going to impact your worldview. And, and, and what we realize is that when we see people just as right or wrong, it, it, it leads to an even further disconnect between us and following Jesus. Because Jesus, he doesn't see people as right or wrong, as bad or good. He sees others in a completely different way. And so to help us understand this and to uh, close this gap, we're going to look at a very powerful passage of Scripture. And now all Scripture is very important, but this passage 
is really, really important. In fact, this passage of Scripture, it, it, it's our heartbeat as a church. We, we, we look at this, we read it, and we realize this is God's heart for people. And so as a result, this needs to be our heart for people. So much so that we've committed to teaching on this passage at least once a year because we just want it to be the heartbeat of this church because we see what matters uh, to God and how he sees people. And so this passage of Scripture is known as Luke 15. And in Luke 15, Jesus famously tells three stories. And these three stories are often called parables, you know, parables that, that show what God is like. These stories show us the heart that God has for people. And as a result, what followers of Jesus should, should have a heart for people as well. And so when we jump into Luke 15, the first thing that we want to realize is, well, who's the crowd of people that Jesus is telling these stories to? Because the crowd really is the point of these parables. And so Jesus, he begins to, to set this up. And so Luke tells us, here's what's going on. He says, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And this is important to understand. We've talked about this before, but tax collectors, they were considered worse than sinners. I mean, they were seen as someone so bad that they, they weren't even considered to be lumped in with the sinners. That was that bad because they were viewed as traitors of their own uh, 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 society. And so the, these guys, they, they have been seen as really bad and wrong. People are, are just saying they need to be discarded, you know, and, and avoided altogether. But yet they're hanging around Jesus. And Luke makes this point for us. He's showing us, hey, those who were nothing like Jesus— actually liked being around Jesus. And Jesus liked being around them as well. They're, they're spending this time together. And Luke's just setting this up like, can you believe this? They're hanging out together. And there was a group of people who couldn't believe this. And this was the religious leaders. And here's what Luke said about them. He said, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, the ones who are known as doing good, they muttered. Love that word, muttered. You know, they're just complaining to, you know, among each other. They're like, this man, Jesus, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. And they're accusing him of being friends with these sinners. This idea of welcoming and eating with someone is this idea of, hey, I'm going to associate myself with you. I'm going to uh, be a, a friend with you willingly. I'm going to willingly hang out and accept you, and you accept me. And that's the accusation that they have against Jesus. He's hanging out with these unrighteous people. And, and, and he's using, they're using this as an argument against Jesus. They were like, well, if he really was of God, these unrighteous sinners, these tax collectors, they would avoid him because they would know to avoid the good people like they avoid us. And Jesus would know to avoid them because that's what we do. We avoid them because their worldview was that they were good and the sinners were bad. And so you treat each other accordingly. You avoid each other altogether. And so that is their worldview, and Jesus is about to challenge that worldview. Now, before we, we share what Jesus says to them, I want us to see our part in this story, because this is so important, because we're going to naturally, naturally lean or gravitate uh, towards one group uh, in, in this crowd. And so I just want you to ask yourself, don't, don't say this out loud. Don't elbow the person that you came with. You know, don't raise your hand if this is you. Don't type in the chat if this is you online. But I just want you to be real honest with yourself. Hey, do you lean self-righteous or do you lean unrighteous? 
which group, part of the group, would you naturally gravitate towards? Would you naturally gravitate towards the so-called good, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, or the so-called bad, the tax collectors and the sinners? And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you which way I, I would lean. I, I naturally lean, if I'm not careful, I'm going to lean towards the self-righteous. I can relate towards the Pharisees and the religious leaders because most of my life, I've spent time saying, I'm going to do good. I'm going to follow the rules, and I'm going to be accepted by people because of all the good I do. And, and the problem, and where this gets me into trouble, is if I'm following the rules, and I see people not following the rules, I can get angry with them. Great example of this is in the Walmart parking lot. I mean, we know in Walmart parking lots, it's like the wild, wild west, but I just like to pretend that there are rules there. And so I'm like, I'm going to drive on the right side of the driveway. You know, I'm going to park in one spot. I'm going to, you know, let the pedestrians cross in the pedestrian crossing zone only. You know, I'm going to go ahead and do this. But when I go in there and I'm trying to follow along and, and in our Greenfield location, I mean, we're right next to a Walmart. And so I, I drive through the Walmart parking lot every day. I just see all that's going on. In fact, I tell my wife, if I get out of there safely, I'm going to make it home safe. You know, that, that's going to be the test because I see people driving on the other wrong way down the, the lanes. You know, I see people just kind of scrubbing crossing all the way through, and, and the pedestrians are crossing every which way. Uh, they're taking over multiple parking spots, and I just yell in my car every day, what are you doing? Why can't you follow these simple parking lot rules? What is going on? And I get angry, and I get yell, I yell, and I feel that self-righteous anger just come out of me every single day, and that's how I lean. I can lean towards the self-righteous side, and many of you, you can probably relate with that. But then there are others of you, you can relate to the unrighteous. And there might be part of you that said, yeah, you know what, there, there's been a part of my life um, where I've done something that you could say was probably worse than sinner. And, you know, at that time, it, it was all fun and games. We were laughing, we were high-fiving. It looked great on the outside, but on the inside, I was carrying around this guilt and this shame and I, I did not feel good, and, and I knew that the last place that I could hang around was around anyone who was feeling really good about themselves. And, and, and you can relate to those tax collectors and those sinners. And, and when we see this crowd of people, we realize that they're very confused, and there's all this tension about following Jesus. Because they aren't sure, well, who, who can actually be with Jesus? Who does he actually approve of? Because for them, their worldview was if you're good and righteous, you're good with God. But if you're bad and unrighteous and you're doing wrong, you, you aren't good with God. And, 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 and how does this work out accordingly? And, and their worldview just leads them to just only view as far as right and wrong or good or bad. And Jesus goes and he challenges and he changes their worldview with these three stories, and he does the exact same thing for us, and he shows us the heart of God by telling them these three stories. And they're all just so powerful stories. He, he, he starts off uh, th these parables by asking them this question. He gets them on the same page. He says, huh, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And this actually is a brilliant question because he gets them on the same page. They all say, yeah, he'd go look for it. Now, now we today may not immediately say, yeah, you know, we'd go look for the one sheep because one out of 99 doesn't seem like that bad of math. And so maybe for us today, a better question would be, suppose you had three credit cards and you lost one of them. You know, wouldn't you just want to go and find it and see, you know, where did it go? I mean, we wouldn't say to ourselves, 
well, thankfully I have my Discover. I lost my MasterCard. I don't know who is using it, but you know, at least I have that one. No, we focus on what is lost because it's valuable to us. And so Jesus gets them on the same page. You're like, yeah, he'd go, he'd go and he'd look for it. And he tells them, yeah, the, the shepherd goes, he looks, he finds it. He calls out to his friends. He says, let's throw a party and celebrate because I found my lost sheep. And they're like, okay, Jesus, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And then Jesus interprets that for him. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And that word repent is so powerful because they would understand and realize what it means. It means to reconnect. This idea of reconnecting with, with God. And they're beginning to go like, whoa. Jesus is beginning to challenge how we view people. He's, he's talking about focusing on those who are unrighteous. Like, Jesus, are you sure? And just to show him that he was sure, he follows this up with another story. And he tells him about this woman uh, who had 10 coins, and she lost one coin in her house. And it's a very similar story to the shepherd with the sheep. And he says, wouldn't the woman just want to go ahead and, and tear apart her house and to find uh, that one coin no, no matter what? And she finds it, and she calls a friend. She says, let's celebrate. I found my lost coin. It, you know, I'm going to put it with my other nine. And they celebrate, and Jesus makes the same point. This is just like what would happen over one sinner who repents or returns or reconnects to God, you know, and over the, the nine coins. And they're like, Jesus, we haven't ever thought about it like this before. And he said, I know. So I'm going to tell you another story just to make sure you get the point. And he tells them this third story. And this may be one of his most powerful and, and popular stories that, that you may have heard. It's often referred to as the prodigal son. And so Jesus, he, he just begins to gather uh, both sides of the crowd and, and gets them to lean in because Jesus is just this master storyteller. And he introduces the story. He says, hey, there's this dad, and the dad has these two sons, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son, he just wants to get his inheritance and move on and live life the way that he wants to live life. And so he's just waiting each day, waiting his dad out to see if his dad would pass away to get his inheritance. But his dad takes all the vitamins, he stays healthy, and he just won't die. And so he, he goes to his dad one day, he gets impatient. He says, hey, dad, just give me my share of the estate. And the crowd would hear this and go, whoa, really? That's the equivalent of telling your dad you want him dead. And for many, they would equate this to murder. They would say, you would kill your son over this. This is, this is just a horrible thing to say to your dad. But the dad doesn't do that. Instead, the dad does something that's even more shocking to that crowd. He goes and he gives him his inheritance. He gives him that money. And they would be like, whoa, why would he do that? But if you remember the point of the first two stories, this would make sense because the shepherd did whatever he could to find that one sheep. The woman did whatever she could to find that one coin. This dad is going to do whatever he can to reconnect with his lost son. See, the son is lost to him, not physically, but relationally. And so he sees this as an opportunity to reconnect with his son. And so he gives him the money. And the son goes and, and does what we would expect him to do. He goes away, he moves away, and he starts spending his money. He just starts just flying through it. Jesus said he spent it on wild living. I mean, you can use your imagination on, on, on what that means. But he eventually, he blows through all the money. It's all gone. He's broke. And then a famine hits that land. Everyone's poor. It, it, it's rough economic times. And this son has to do something he has never done before. He has to find a job. 
And so he's looking for a job, but times are hard. The only job he can get is to become a pig feeder, just, just, just to feed pigs, which back then, that is seen the, as the lowest of the low, an entry-level, low-paying job. It's not a good job, but it's the only one he can get. It, he's not uh, able to afford what, what he needs with it, but that's the only thing he's doing. So he's feeding pigs, and, and, and feeding and touching pigs it just seems so socially unacceptable. And the crowd is hearing Jesus tell the story, and they're thinking, yeah. He's getting what comes to him because he was so bad and so wrong. This is what needs to happen. This is how he should be treated. Yeah, you tell it, Jesus. But then Jesus begins to shift the story a little bit for, for, for them. And he says, Here, here's what happens. He describes his son like this. He said, when he came to his senses, this is the younger son, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He had one of those days that he woke up and looked in the mirror and he realized, I'm not who I ever wanted to become. I'm in a spot that I never dreamed that I would be. He's in a place that you would say he's in rock bottom. And if you've ever had an experience, and maybe you've had an experience recently where you looked in the mirror and you're like, this isn't what I planned out for myself. I'm not sure who I became. I'm not sure what I've done. I'm really disappointed in the actions that I've took. And if you'd say that you are at rock bottom, you're feeling that guilt and that shame, that unrighteousness, you feel like that tax collector or that sinner, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lean in. Because I don't think it's an accident that you are watching this today. You are not here by accident. In fact, I think what you're going to see in the next few moments is exactly what God the Father is like and who God the Father likes. And so... This young man, he comes to his senses. He decides, you know what? I got to do something about this. So he comes up with this plan for himself. And Jesus said this about him. He said, I'm going to set out. I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to say to him, hey, dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. Like maybe, maybe my dad will have the grace enough just to take me on as a hired hand who can at least provide for himself and provide for their family. Maybe I'll get lucky and he will do that uh, for, for me. And so he he comes up with this plan to go ahead and do that for his father. And the crowd hears this, and they think, this is going to be so good in the story. This is going to be so good because the dad's going to do what we would do. We would treat him just like how we see him. The, the, the ungrateful son that he is, that dad's going to cut him off because we would cut him off. We can't wait to see what Jesus tells us here. And then what Jesus does is he begins to just challenge and change their and our worldview of how God sees people with this twist in the story. Here's what Jesus said about the father. His father saw him from a distance walking back and was filled with not anger, not disdain, not judgment. He was filled with compassion for his son. The crowd had been like, what? compassion, love for, for the son that treated him that way? He was filled with compassion for him, so much so Jesus dialed it up even further. He ran to his son. Uh, dignified fathers, they don't run. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him, meaning he touched a boy who touched a pig. 
It was seen as so beneath him, but the father's like, no, no, this is my son. He is back, and he, and he kept going. In fact, he told his servants, he said, we, we need to get the robe. We need, need to get the rings. We need to get the sandals. We need to get this on our son and, and celebrate that he is back in our family. In fact, he told them, uh, we have the fattened calf that we're saving up for a party. Well, the party is now. We're going to throw a huge party for him, and we're going to celebrate that my son is back. In fact, he said, here's the reason why we're celebrating this. This son of mine was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And Jesus told these three stories. And this is the only time we ever see him uh, tell three stories in a row that make the same point, that Jesus says, no, no, when it comes to our worldview, it's not about right or wrong or good or bad um, or this political leaning or this political leaning or, or anti this or pro this. It, it's, it's not about any of that. I don't see anyone in any of those types of categories. Therefore, I don't treat people in any of those types of categories. But there are only two categories that God sees. And that is lost to God people and found by God people. That's it. Now, now, now being lost doesn't mean you're bad um, or you're wrong, or, and being found doesn't mean that you're good and you're right. No, it just means are you disconnected to, to, from God or are you connected to God? And that's it. And God wants everybody connected to him. And if the implications for us as his followers weren't clear enough yet, Jesus adds this exclamation point into the story. And the exclamation point comes into him reintroducing another character in the story, which I'm guilty. I can relate to this character probably the most. This is the older brother who has done everything right up until this point. And, and, and the older brother, he's followed all of his dad's rules. And this time he, he goes out of the field. He hears the party. He asks what's going on. And a servant tells him, your younger brother came back. Your dad's throwing a party. You should celebrate. He's like, I'm not going in and celebrating that. Like, why would I do that? It's my younger brother. He wasted his money. The dad hears that. The dad comes out and talks to the older brother and says, hey, come, come into the party. And the older brother, he, he, he just goes to his dad and says, dad, no way. I've done everything right for you for years. In fact, he uses the phrase, like, I've been a slave for you for the number of years. I've done everything right. I've behaved and believed the right way, and you never threw me a party. And then he went and wasted your money and he did all of this, all this wrong stuff? Like, why are you throwing him a party? And the dad just looks at him and it's like, son, it's never been about the behavior. It's never been about whether you're right or wrong or good or bad. It's never been about any of that. Say, so, hey, son, come on. We had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he's found. And if you ever want to know what's important to you, what's important to you is what you celebrate, what you want to throw a party for. And this is what the father threw a party for. It was not that the son came back to be good and to, and to behave and believe all the right things. No. It was that the son came back and was reconnected with the father. That's how God sees the world. That's how God sees people. Are they lost to God or found by God? And he wants everyone found by God. And so what does this mean uh, for, for followers of Jesus who want to live connected to him? And, and, and the implications are clear. To live a connected life to follow Jesus means we see people as God sees people. 
that, that we see people just as God sees, whether they are lost or found. We don't see people based on categories, whether they are right or wrong or good or bad or pro this or anti this, Republican or Democrat or a Bears fan or a Packers fan. I mean, we don't see them in those types of categories. We just see them as are they lost to God people or found by God people. And we want everyone to be found by God people because that is God's heart for people. And so how do we have the same heart as God and see others the same way that God sees others? Well, the way that we do this is we, we just start every day, and I want to challenge all of us to start every day this week with this simple prayer. And the simple prayer is this. Hey, God, hey, help me see people as you see people. God, you know, whenever I come across someone, help me realize that there is not a person that I have not met uh, that you did not give your son Jesus for. God, help me see them as you see them. Are they lost to you or found by you? God, help me see them as you see, as you see people. And even when the, the times come in, you know, when I, I realize, like, I'm getting angry because they did something I don't agree with or they said something I don't agree with, use that as a reminder for me to pray, God, hey, God, help me see people the way that you see people. And then as a result of that prayer, what we want to do is we want to join the Father, join him on a search party, and find the lost. When we realize that those around us who are not yet found by God, we say, God, I'm going to partner with you to do whatever you can to help find the lost. And what this means for us is we look at those that God is bringing into our lives, and we partner with him and say, God, I don't want to turn them into a project, but I want to turn them, and I want to help love them the way that you love them by helping them be found by you. And this means that the people that God has brought in our life, whether it's people we run into at the gym, people we run into when we're dropping off our kids at school, people that uh, live near us, or people that we, we bump into often at work, and we see them as God sees them, and we realize, hey, God put me in their life to find them. So here's what that means. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to humbly listen to them and serve them. And then when the opportunity is right, I'm going to share with them and invite them to, to, to come check out church because, who knows, God's brought me into their life to partner with him to help find the lost. And my, my family and I, over the last couple of years, this has just been such a great blessing for us because but God's been bringing people into our lives that we've been able to do that um, in, in, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in the gyms that we go to. God's brought these relationships where we've been able to do that. And, and what's great is they've become real friends where we welcome them and they've welcomed us. And, and, and it's just been an awesome opportunity to be able to serve them and see the opportunities where we can help them experience the hope of Jesus. And so we start with that prayer. God, help us see people as you see people. And then we partner with him to find the lost. And it's in light of this that um, we as a church ha have decided to, to do what we're going to do over the next uh, several weeks, and that is uh, when we are going to launch the Oak Creek Franklin uh, campus. And, and, and the reason why we're going to do this is not just to uh, build a bigger church um, and, and, and just say, hey, you know, we're just going to go ahead and, 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 and do this. We're, we're doing this because we drove through the Oak Creek Franklin area. And uh, we, we saw people that were disconnected from God. And we said, God, you're calling us to do what we do here in Greenfield in the Oak Creek Franklin area because of your heart for them. It could be a lot easier for us just to be a single campus church. But we said, no, we want to partner with God to find the lost. And so that's why we are excited to launch that campus. And so today what we're going to celebrate is we're going to celebrate the opportunity to commission that team who's going to go and start that campus. So I'm going to invite our uh, Oak Creek Franklin campus pastor Forrest and the team up on stage. Uh, and they're going to make our way to stage in just a moment. And then I'm going to turn it over to our lead and founding pastor Mark who's going to lead 
us in a commissioning moment to pray for this team as they go to help partner with God to find those who are lost in the Oak Creek Franklin area. So let's go ahead and give it up to this team. Well, as, as Tyler said, we get to do something really special and sacred as a church, and uh, that is commission a group of people from our church family, and uh, we get to send them out and do something pretty special, and that is to launch a campus in the Oak Creek Franklin area. Now, we're going to do this at all our services this weekend. We have about 120 plus uh, that are committed to the launch team. We're hoping 150 total from our church go over there to, to help get that started. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to do it uh, today. And uh, here's their schedule over the next couple weeks, just so you know, before we commission them. Over the next uh, two weeks or so, they're going to continue. You're going to see these orange shirts in, in different spots around uh, our campus here. They'll be training as they get ready to serve in different positions over in the Oak Creek Franklin campus. And then uh, two weeks before launch, they're actually going to spend the, the, the morning at uh, Forest Ridge Elementary School, which will be the location of the new campus. And uh, they're just gonna just pray for the campus, pray for the community and all that good stuff. And then a week out, uh, they have a bunch of equipment that's gonna be coming in and uh, they only get one week to fit that location for all the equipment and go through a rehearsal service and do all that. And uh, which should be really, really exciting for them. And only one week should be really, really exciting for them to do that. Uh, and then uh, Sunday, November 6th, it's go baby go. And as a church, we kick off Live Big, and so it's going to be just a phenomenal weekend as we, as we uh, once again, uh, send this great community out to reach another great community. And so commissioning is this. Commissioning is a process of actually blessing a person or a group of people uh, to use their gifts and abilities in what God is calling them to do. And obviously, uh, th this group is going to take their gifts and abilities and do what God's called them to do, and that is to start a new church start a new campus in the Oak Creek Franklin area. And so what we do when we commission, we actually pray and we do what's called the laying on of hands. They did that in the New Testament. What that meant, or what that simplified, is that they were, were affirming the calling that God had placed on their life. And so what we're gonna do, I'm gonna ask Forrest, actually we'll stand here, and, um, and then we're just gonna do this as a group. And then, if you don't mind, if you, this is not too weird for you, is symbolic of laying on hands. If you just kinda reach out your hands to them, and uh, we're going we're gonna to pray for them. Uh, let, let's pray. Father, um, in light of what we just, we just heard in Luke 15, uh, your heart and your heart for people that uh, aren't connected to you. Uh, God, it's in that light that um, we send this group out. And we commission them for the calling that you have on them and uh, to launch a campus right there in a great spot, a great community, and uh, Father, my prayer for this campus has been uh, that they would truly just fit a very, very specific need in that community. And uh, that's a need for people that are far from you, that aren't connected to church, aren't connected to God. Uh, God, that are just maybe wandering around wondering and searching, uh, but they're just looking for something and they're searching for something. And we're seeing that more and more in our culture nowadays. What a great time. And thank you, God, for the door that you've opened up. Thank you for the calling that you have on this group. Uh, Father, we're so proud of just the, their sacrifice, their commitment, their desire, their heart to really see people know you. Father, we pray your hand would be on them. We pray you fill them with your spirit. We pray you do just amazing, amazing things uh, in the weeks and months and years ahead as a, a vibrant, healthy, spirit-filled campus is um, going to be building in the Oak Creek Franklin area. 
So Father, thank you for the privilege as a church for us to do this and, uh, and do this together. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's give them a round of applause. There they go. Hey, listen, if, uh, before you go, if, if you wanna still be a part of this, Forrest will be out in the lobby way. If you're watching online, text the word launch uh, to the number on the screen and a form will be texted to you and just fill that form out. Uh, also next week, we wrap up the Great Disconnect series. We have groups starting next week. We had a, an amazing sign up uh, for new people in groups. And if you're still interested, head to the Next Steps room. And uh, before you go, I want everybody to stand and I'm going to commission you. So I want everybody to stand. Here's the commission for you. Go make a difference this week by bringing the hope of Jesus wherever you go. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Rich Community Churches podcast. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to host you at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and more about our kids and students' environments, visit us at theridgecc.com. That's theridgecc.com.